All right, today we're continuing a new series that we started last Sunday, Living a Life of Meaning. Living a Life of Meaning, having meaning in your life. What I want to talk with you about today is having meaning by being peacemakers. Peacemakers. When you think of peacemaker, what do you envision? Some of you think, well, I've got a gun that is a peacemaker. No, normally when you think of the word peacemaker, you think of, you know, somebody that's blowing bubbles and everything's good, everything's fine, all is well, and they're just, everybody's good, and just smiling, big cheesy smiles and positive and encouraging words. But if you Google it, there's, there's uh, used to be that it would come up with guns, but if you Google it, you'll see pictures of, I guess, John Cena, that big giant guy has a new movie out or something, and he's the peacemaker which gets into alignment with the gun thing. But, you know, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be Teletubbies. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He didn't say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be Hallmark's best Christmas cast. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Big difference. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the epitome of politically correct leaders of social coexistence. That's not what he said. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus said that. Now, if you understand what he's talking about there, it's huge. The sons of God in the, the, in, the, in the courts of heaven are something to be reckoned with. They're powerful, they're strong, they're mighty. And he says, those who become peacemakers on earth become sons of God. That's something to shoot towards, isn't it? In Luke chapter 20, Jesus was answering a question about what it would be like when we get to heaven. Joe Michael, go ahead and turn the air up just a little bit. I think we're starting to get cold. <laughs> Jesus said this about us when we get to heaven. He said, they cannot die anymore. Boy, don't you like that? On this memorial weekend, Right? They cannot die anymore. They've already died. They've already come here. And they cannot die anymore because they're equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. He's talking about what you and I are going to be when we get to heaven. That's huge. Jesus was saying his peacemakers will be sons of God. They will, they will not be able to die anymore. And because we cannot die for eternity, peacemakers are powerful, strong, and have nothing to fear but God kind of people. That's who we are. We may be able to die here and die easily, but not there. Peacemakers get their strength and stand firm from knowing that no matter what they face and no matter what they go through here, we've got there. That's where we get our strength. The world believes that world strength equals power, right? The world believes that, well, if I just get really big and get strong... Physically, that I'll have power. What happens? The bigger that you get, 
the more people want to challenge you. They come after you. Financial strength in this world equals power. Well, if I've got enough money, if I'm paying the bill, then I'm going to have the power to make the decisions. That's how we think. We think that position equals strength. Well, I'm the president. I have power. We think we have, if we're beautiful, if, we, if we're good looking, we think that that gives us power. And then we've got something going on in our world today too that, that people have found that, that if they are violent people, that that seems to give them power. And when people decide they're willing to live with the memory of, and the conscience of willfully harming somebody, they, found, they find power over others. Isn't that what we saw in the news this week here in Texas? An 18-year-old walks into a fourth-grade class, I believe it was a bunch of fourth-graders, and found power over them. But God says something is completely different than that. God says true power comes from the combination of these two things. God says love and immortality equals power. Love and immortality is where you get your power. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down his, one's life for one's friends. What is he saying? The combination of love and immortality is what makes God's people so powerful as peacemakers in this life. You see, love and the belief that you're immortal, believing you have life after this life so much that you're willing to lay your life down for those around you, now that's power. What kind of situation could you ever find yourself in that would warrant that you give your life for your friends? Would you give your life so that someone else could have more money? Would you give your life so that someone else could, at work could, could be bumped up, could get a promotion or a better position at work? Would you do that? Would you give your life for that? Would you give your life so that someone else could be beautiful or good looking? You wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't give your life for those things. You wouldn't give your life for, for anything like that, something frivolous especially. You might give your life inadvertently so that you could give somebody a kidney, but you weren't planning on it, because why? Your life given so that someone else could just live, well, that's not sufficient. In war, a soldier doesn't just give his life so that someone else can live. That's one life for another. That doesn't make sense. It's got to be bigger than that, and it is bigger than that. In war, a soldier gives his life for something, something bigger than that. It's about giving your life for peace. Giving your life so that someone can live in peace is important. And that's the cause that's worth dying for. That is meaningful. Giving your life so that someone else can live in peace. That's meaningful. Jesus didn't give his life just so that you could live. He gave his life so that you could live abundantly. He gave his life so that you could live in peace. And there is nobody that's ever lived that's been a greater peacemaker than Jesus. The night before Jesus was crucified at the Last Supper, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And he says, I don't give as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What is he saying? He's saying what the world is going to hand you is difficult. 
but my peace is what I'm going to give you. And listen, when you're willing to suffer so that someone else can have peace, you're a peacemaker. When you're willing to stand up for somebody that can't stand for themselves, you're a peacemaker. When you're able to risk your reputation so that someone else can rise up, you're a peacemaker. Not too long after Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended to heaven, there was a man named Barnabas. You ever heard of Barnabas? Eventually, he went on great missionary tours with the Apostle Paul. Well, Barnabas first shows up in Acts chapter 4. And his name wasn't Barnabas at that time. His name was, well, it was. It was, it was his nickname, though. His actual name was Joseph. And he is known in, in Acts chapter 4, this guy named Barnabas, or jo- <laughs> Joseph, that they called Barnabas, he actually sold a piece of property, he loved the church, he loved what God was doing so much. He, he sold a piece of property and he gave all of the money from that to the church. And they knew him as a faithful friend, they knew him as a giver, they knew him as an encourager, and they knew him as a, friend, a forgiving kind of brother. And so they nicknamed, Barna, nicknamed Joseph Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, you can imagine the kind of disposition that this guy must have had for them to nickname him son of encouragement. What a great guy this must have been. But Barnabas was way more than that. He became a son of God. Barnabas became that. Why? Because he became a peacemaker. There was a Jewish man named Saul who hated Christians so much he was hunting them down. And he was having them thrown into jail. He was breathing out murderous threats, the scripture says, as he was trying to hunt down Christians. And one day, this Saul was riding on a donkey. Hopefully you guys have heard this story before. He's riding on a donkey, and as the scripture says, he's breathing out murderous threats as he's going. He's going to kill the Christians, or he's going to throw them into jail. At very least, he's going to stone, have them stoned, right? And, and he's riding on his donkey, and Jesus comes along, and he knocks him off his donkey. He blinds him, and he begins talking to him. And in the process of that, he begins to tell him, this is what I want you to do with the rest of your life. He's like, really? I've been persecuting you. I've been killing your people. I've been putting your people in jail. Now you want me on your team. That's wonderful. It's great to know that I'm with you now. You are God. And so he accepted Christ into his life. God healed his eyes. And he started the process. Over the next few years, he started the process of trying to to engage in Christianity and began to learn more. Well, the time came for him to begin to, to get infiltrated into the church. God had a plan for him to take the message of Christ beyond the Jews. And so now he's got to get into the church and be a part of the church, the church that he was persecuting. And the time came for him to go and stand before Jesus' disciples. And so he makes the trek to Jerusalem. And, And look what it says. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. He was having a hard time getting into the church to be a part of the church. And here God had called him to do something that, that, that was completely out of character from what he was before he got saved. This is one of the most powerful moments in church history. An encourager became a peacemaker. Barnabas the encourager 
was willing to give up everything that he had worked for. He had a huge reputation. He had done so many things. Everybody in the church trusted him. Everybody in the church loved him. And now he was going to put his complete reputation on the line for this one guy that used to kill Christians. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles. So Barnabas went and he he was like, all right, we need to go together. I'm going to put my reputation on the line. I'm going to do everything that it takes to try to get you where you need to be. He went to the apostle and 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 he described how Saul had been with the Lord. He spoke to him on the road to Damascus, he said, and how Saul had spoken boldly in the city In the name of Jesus, so Saul stayed with him, moving about freely in Jerusalem and speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas put it all on the line and he said, guys, I'm with him. This is a good man. I know what he did. I know where he's been. I know what he's done. But I also know that he accepted Christ and his life is completely changed and he's different. He's one of us now. Barnabas was willing to lay it all down to risk everything, his reputation and everything, to be able to bring Saul into the fold. And because of Paul's work, Saul's work, he became Paul, the apostle. And because of that, you and I have the gospel of Christ today. Because he took it beyond the boundaries of Judaism. Or he took it beyond the boundaries, that is, of the Jewish Christians. And what Barnabas did was he was willing to lay down his life, not just for Saul, but he was willing to give his life for you and me so we could have this message today. And there's a key to being a peacemaker. Believe your afterlife is your real life. Believe it. As long as you're holding on tight to this life, you're going to lose it. Jesus said this, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your own soul? So the context of this passage is Jesus telling his disciples about he's going to give his life. And Peter speaks up and says, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And he told Peter, you're thinking about human concerns. You're not thinking about what God wants. You're not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking about what you want. You've got to lay that aside. And he turned to his disciples and he said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet lose their own soul? Jesus is saying, believe you have a soul. He's saying, Believe I have a place for you. Believe it. Don't be afraid to put your life on the line for somebody else. Because we know that that's there. That's what Jesus is saying. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe? Do you really believe? Would you be willing to lay down your life Do you believe that much
There's a medical doctor. His name is Jeffrey Long, a specialist in radiation oncology, and he's written a book called Evidence of the Afterlife. I've presented some of this stuff to you guys before, but it's so important. Long had people telling him, Dr. Long had people telling him for a long period of time about near-death experiences. And he became so curious that he developed a scientific approach to documenting and charting and mathematically looking at the results of what these people had said to him. And he designed a website in 1998 to allow people from all over the world to send their stories in. And he began not just to let them tell their stories, but to ask specific questions that would help him to chart out methodically and mathematically what these people were saying to see if there were some common threads, some apples to apples. And this is what this person experienced. This is what this person experienced. And this is how it lines up. And, and so he, he was able to do that. And he was able to put together a huge report and analyze this, this information. And in this study, he had thousands of people from every walk of life, from all different cultures, from different ages, all kinds of different languages, put in all this information, and and he was able to, to chart it out. And one of the things in his study that he found was that many of these people were experiencing what he called a life review, and that is when when they would find themselves on the other side, they would have a moment where suddenly, comprehensively flashing before them was all of their life. And they were able to see everything from like start until this point and understanding that, but it wasn't just seeing their life from their perspective this time. Instead, it was seeing their life from how they made other people feel around them at different points in their life, how they influenced other people and how, how they made these people feel around them at different points in their life. And they felt like, my goodness, this is, this is different. I want to go back and I want to change it. And when they came back, these people who actually had these experiences experiences did come back and they changed their lives substantially. They experienced such a great emotion there because of how they made other people feel along the way and how they had influenced or lacked influence in other people's lives. They were able to come back and say, man, I want to do this life different. I want to do this life better. I want my life to be meaningful. And I want to read some of this, uh, just a paragraph from the book. He says, The study found consistent and long-lasting changes following near-death experiences. Near-death experiencers have a decreased fear of death, which seems to go hand-in-hand with an increased belief in the afterlife. In addition, near-death experiencers become more loving and compassionate in their interaction with other people. Our study found that the near-death experiencers may seek out helping or healing professions after their brush with death. Also, many near-death experiencers in the study had been changed so much by their experience that they were no longer the same. They had become nicer. How many of you know somebody you wish had a near-death experience? They become nicer, more compassionate. And look what they did. They would go back to school so that they could take upon themselves a profession in helping people cope with life and helping people deal with life. They would change their whole lives after that experience to what? Become a peacemaker. Helping other people. You see, people who are peacemakers, know that this life is about that life. Peacemakers know that. 
peacemakers are strong and stand on God's word to bring resolution to problems and struggles. Peacemakers don't throw fuel on fire. Instead, they follow Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. Anger. Peacemakers seek and do what unifies us, what brings us together instead of what divides us as the people of God. Peacemakers see any kind of leadership not as power, but as responsibility to take care of others, to be peacemakers as leaders. Peacemakers use their resources, use their money, use their time, and use their energy to build life for the people around them. Because their life becomes stable, they make other people's lives stable. Because their lives are good, now other people's lives are becoming better. Peacemakers feed into other people and take care of other people. Peacemakers don't fight for themselves, they fight for what is right. That's peacemakers. And I feel like I know that I'm looking at a bunch of peacemakers today. And I know in this church we have great peacemakers People who have chosen to do things God's way, who don't make trouble, who don't. You guys are not the ones causing trouble on Facebook. You're not the ones stirring up trouble in your families. You're not the ones that your family's afraid is going to show up for Thanksgiving or Christmas. You guys are the ones that host these things. Peacemakers. You're the ones that when you see wrong, you do whatever it takes to make it right. And when you do wrong, you do whatever it takes to make it right. James David, would you come? Jesus was teaching one day, and he said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks two questions. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by adding worry, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Those are great questions, aren't they? The Father feeds the birds. Are you not more valuable than they? September will be two years since John Horns had a full-time job. Are you not more valuable than the birds? He's taken care of you, hasn't he? He's taken care of you, Linda, hasn't he?
peacemakers have embraced the greatest power anyone can have, immortality. I don't know if you can feel it, but today I'm feel a little different today. I know where Angela is. And she's already experiencing this. For those of you who don't know, it's my wife. Do you believe? Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Think of somebody that you know that is in heaven. What are they doing right now? I made the mistake of asking that at a rural memorial somebody said well they're drinking a beer (laughs) whoa wait a second let me not ask that question (laughs) come on be real if they're in heaven right now what do you think they're doing got to be amazing we're not talking about just going up there sitting on some cloud playing a harp we're talking about the absolute most amazing organization for lack of a better word God who created the universe said I am going to prepare a place for you if it weren't so I wouldn't have told you that and he says I want you to be where I am and in the meantime Our responsibility is to believe in that so much that we live out the rest of this life. You can have a near-death experience today. And we call it salvation, being born again. That's what Jesus called it, being born again. And you can accept Christ into your life. And you can say, God, I want to let go of my older life. I want to be different from this moment on. And I invite you into my life. The pain that I've caused in this life, I see it. I hurt people. I didn't give when I could have. I didn't take care of when I should have. I didn't fulfill my responsibilities. I lived with an addiction and was selfish. But God, from this day on, I want to be different. I want to change 
And I want to live the rest of my life like I really believe, like I really believe. So I invite you into my life afresh and new today. And I believe in heaven. Come on, would you say that with me? I believe in heaven. One more time. I believe in heaven. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, we believe our loved ones are there. All the kingdom greats are there. And today, we know that we will be there. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We embrace a relationship with you. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just want to give you an opportunity. If you accepted Christ into your life today, you just need to start by sharing it with somebody. Why not me? So if that's you today, right where you're seated, I just want you to look up at me until your eyes catch mine. I'll be praying for you this week. You accepted Christ today. Just look up at me until your eyes catch mine. Awesome. Awesome. Amen. Amen.